So in last week's episode, People of Prayer in the Workplace, we were joined by two guests, Jules and Rebecca. They shared their heart of what it's like to be people from the House of Prayer that are working full-time in the workplace and how the two can come together and how they can be an encouragement for all those around them. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into that conversation. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. So, like I said in the intro, we got Jules and Rebecca joining us again for another episode. Welcome back and thank you for being here again, even though we're recording on the same day so you didn't have to go anywhere. Yes, so uh, last episode we talked about connecting... Being connected with the prayer room and the workplace and kind of how they come together, that sort of thing. So if you haven't listened to that episode, stop listening to this episode and go back to that episode. And if you haven't listened to the previous ones, just start at number one and work your way through because we need some more listeners. Okay, so in today's episode, we are going to talk about a few different things. Uh, Jehu, you want to lead us off with the starting question today? So last week we talked about how the prayer room can really dramatically affect the way you approach your job. Uh, we even talked about how we learn to hear the Lord and we learn to just really walk into the Holy Spirit and how that can help us in our workplace. And I think that was a really good, uh, a really good point to take away. But I know there's sometimes controversy around the marketplace or the workplace and around the house of prayer. Um, there can sometimes be tensions. There can be uh, just difficulties of people misunderstanding each other. And so we just wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit and just kind of jump in. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, different listeners, wherever you're coming from, whether you're in the marketplace full-time or you're in a house of prayer context full-time, um, I'm sure you've noticed these kinds of tensions and these kinds of things. So we want to take a little time to just kind of unpack that in a conversation. Uh, Jules, you had said there was a, a few things that you wanted to kind of start off with. Sure. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what, really, we're all in this together. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And I think when we start comparing ourselves um, with others' jobs and who what they do, it's there's pride in that. There's and we're not actually celebrating that we all have different parts to play, and that that is actually part of the body, and that we need each other. Um, so I really think that sometimes there's that pride that gets in the way, thinking that oh, I'm more holy if I'm full time in the house of prayer or whatever. It could be the other way around. You could have a a job that's really prominent and like they can't function without me in that job. So, you know, there's that too. And I think that we just really actually have to approach it with humble hearts and looking at each other of we're in this together and we're part of a family that is to work together. If we're seeing ourselves as separate um, and one is better than the other, then I think that, yeah, we just need, we need to come before the Lord with that. I wonder sometimes if even how we talk about Mary of Bethany, and, and the value of her sitting at Jesus' feet all the time. And we can, we really, you know, it just makes sense that we're trying to raise up singers and musicians. And so sometimes to do that in any movement, when you're trying to emphasize a certain role, you tend to naturally, maybe not intentionally, but devalue the other roles. And so kind of what can get held up in the prayer movement as the, as the ultimate thing to do is to be full-time in the house of prayer, ministering to the house of the Lord. That's the thing that's burning on the heart of the Lord. And what ends up 
you know, being maybe not not necessarily intentionally communicated, but it still comes across is that if you're doing anything less than that, you're not really giving God the fullest glory that you could be. I remember when I wasn't on staff and I really wanted to be, uh, when I was working in the in the marketplace, the workplace, and I just felt like I was uh, disconnected from what's happening on the inside. Like I wasn't an insider. Like there were those that knew what's happening and were really in the know of the vision and in that all the time. And then I just kind of felt like someone on the outside looking in saying, well, those guys are on staff and they know what's happening. I don't know. May not explain that very well, but. No, I've totally felt that. Yeah. As someone who's not on the inside, that there are even something that I've noticed is in the aspect of community. Because I think as a staff member, you meet regularly in a large group and in smaller groups. And if the house of prayer is your primary place of connecting with like-minded people, then the staff probably aren't going to be looking for additional opportunities to gather as much as people who are in the marketplace because you're naturally connecting during your meetings or during additional prayer meetings. And so then as somebody who isn't part of that, I feel like there's connections that are being made and relationships that are being forged that I'm just kind of an outsider to. And so that's been painful at different times for me. And even just hearing even that the Tuesday meetings are the best meetings of the week that was super painful. And for context, there are prayer meetings that happen on Tuesday mornings, and I'm at work then. But it happens in a house, and it happens more or less just with the staff. And I would consistently hear from staff, oh, the Tuesday morning meetings are the best. And so as somebody who is going to the Sunday and Monday, whether or not that's true is obviously up for debate because I wasn't there. I don't know. But I remember the Tuesday evening prayer meetings when we'd be meeting in a house. And those were my favorite meetings of the week. And those are gone this new season. And that's a total aside. But even just to say there are things that you can't access as somebody who's outside of the staff, that's difficult as somebody who's in the marketplace. For the record, the marketplace prayer meeting is probably my favorite prayer meeting, just so you know. And I'm a Monday night guy. I love the Monday night intercession set. <laughs> but I'm sure there are those that do like the Tuesdays, and I totally understand that. That's I hear the pain in that. Just to jump off of the, the Tuesday thing, for me as a teacher, uh, during the 10 months of the year when I'm working, uh, I'm really busy. I do my best to make it to as many of the meetings as I can. But sometimes, you know, you have something after school, you've got a test to grade, you've got things that just come up outside of your workday because it is... Kind of, it just bleeds into other times. And then the summertime is when I'm off. And so I would remember every year being like, oh, like I'm going to go to those Tuesday prayer meetings that are from nine to noon because I'm going to be off. And then they'd be like, all right, so uh, we're shutting down Tuesday prayer meetings for the summer because we're taking it off. And I was like, I was really, I was really crushed. Like I, I remember just feeling like, oh, like I'm, I'm free. I could finally go to this meeting and then they're taking a break. And it's not that it's anyone's fault. No one planned to do that. Um, and the staff need a break too. And they have their own schedules. But just feeling like that, it just was like, oh, I was finally, I finally had my schedule lining up and then it it wasn't there. Well, and I've felt that over the summer as somebody who, I'm not a teacher. And so I work all through the summer and I'm like, no morning marketplace prayer meetings all through the summer? That sucks. That's a bummer. And in the same way that you said, it's nobody's fault. And I understand that people need breaks. And 
especially since we're hosting it in Jules's house. I don't want to have to wake her up on a Wednesday at 6.30 in the morning. If I wake up at 6.30. (laughs) Yeah, but but it is also that painful thing. I don't get to participate in a way that's really meaningful to me and my vocation because of a whole bunch of different factors. So I'm I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to this is are resonating with what you guys are saying and they probably feel that pain too. What are some things that we could be doing differently in the house of prayer or, or some just some ways to remedy that uh, for you guys to feel like you're you're part of what's happening in the prayer room that that you're on the inside that you you are valued members of the house of prayer. Well, pulling from my social work background, something that really for every experience is just validation. And for people who are on staff to say, you're not able to go to the Tuesday morning prayer meetings. That sucks. Or I wish you would be able to experience this. This is a really meaningful thing. Or we're going to try and take things that matter to you into consideration and even validating it's really important what you're doing. And I know that that was mentioned in the previous episode, episode three, I believe, Uh, Just about telling people in the marketplace that what they're doing has value because personally I can naturally see the reverse. I can see the value in what people in the house of prayer are doing vocationally, but I don't think that as a larger culture, we have the same high esteem for people who are in the marketplace. And want to give a little plug to a resource material that I think everybody in the marketplace and not marketplace, because that's the whole point. We should all be reading this so that we can all have value for this. But there's a book written by a guy named Robert Fraser or Bob Fraser called Marketplace Christianity. And it transformed the way that I look at the marketplace and my calling as a Christian to be in the marketplace. And there's this phrase that he uses. It's in maybe the first chapter. It's really early on says, have you ever heard anyone say, I'm so passionate about Jesus, I just have to go into the marketplace? And I heard that and I stopped in my tracks and I thought, no, never. I've never heard anyone say that because when people, we naturally think that when people are really passionate about Jesus and about their faith, they want to be in ministry. But then he goes on to pull out all of these people from the Bible, all of these heroes of the faith, like Daniel and David and Solomon and Esther. And he goes about explaining how they were such people of the marketplace. Like they were kings and they were business people and they were in positions of high authority. And yet they carried this tenderness for the, in their heart for the Lord. And I thought that is the vision. That's what I want to do. That's who I want to be as a person in the marketplace. And Sometimes I think I've fallen in pride into the other place. Like, I don't want to be in the house of prayer. I just want to be in the marketplace because I'm just so passionate for Jesus and to be in the presence of people who don't know him, which I think as somebody in full-time in the house of prayer, that's a bit of a disadvantage. You have to go out and seek those people, whereas I'm surrounded by them all day long. And so I've kind of lost the train of thought of where I was going with that. That's really good. We've actually been having a discussion about how cool it would be to have like a a podcast episode in between weeks where we would go through a book together and then get like audience feedback on the chapter and then we'll talk about the chapter sort of thing. Yeah, so I think think that might actually be a good idea for our first book. That'd be a great one. And if you guys want to jump on to that, you're always welcome to join us. Um, So yeah, go get that book and read it, Marketplace Christianity or 
or email us and ask us when we're going to start the book club thing. That might be fun. And also validation. That that was another point that Rebecca hit. Uh, are there any other practical ways that, like the ones on staff in a house of prayer, ways that we can make you feel valued and support you in the workplace? Come to the Marketplace prayer meeting, Wednesdays, 6.30 a.m. for the <laughs> record. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, really working on having community outside of the kind of staff circle. And so it's it's hard because people naturally kind of find their little niche and it's comfortable to stay with the people you know. But trying to, to branch out and have other things, uh, like I know for myself, uh, I'm not on staff. And I really like a lot of the men who are on staff and I want to be friends with them and I want to have these relationships, but I don't go to the staff meeting or the staff prayer meeting. And so uh, a while ago, I decided, you know, I just need to be more intentional. And so doing things like, you know, having board games, doing things like going out for coffee with them, having a Jets party, doing things. And you might have to be the one who hosts it, but then people who are on staff acknowledging that those are sometimes difficult for the people doing them and to validate and say, hey, you know, I'm going to go reach out to this person. I'm going to go build a relationship, even though they're not on staff. I think that that's really important that you don't kind of get that click of the staff people and then everyone else. One, one thing I keep hearing here in this discussion is, is the titles. And I keep hearing the word staff over and over and over again. And so a question I have is, is if you were talking to someone who is starting a house of prayer from scratch, I, I think an important thing to think about is how do we use language to define roles in our house of prayer? What is a staff person? Is a staff person who's doing it full time? Is a staff person a person who's who's committed to coming to at least one set a week? Like, how do we define staff? Because sometimes it feels to me like a very artificial distinction. Um, because our, our our marketplace people are every bit as much committed and investing in the in the role, like with their with their hours, with their worship, with their prayer, into what's going on in the house of prayer as the staff is. There's no difference in commitment level at all. In fact. I feel like there's often a higher commitment level in the marketplace because they, they still got to work their, their 40 hours or whatever hours a week and still make time for this thing. This isn't part of their schedule. They do this in their free time. And so I just I just think it's probably an important thing to think about in terms of how do we define roles in a house of prayer? How do we talk about people? Do we do we use insider and outsider language that, that makes it sound like, well, the staff did this and, and others didn't? Like, I, I think those things are all important distinctions to make because... Um, you have people in, in any sort of house of prayer who are um, who, who are so committed to it, and and we don't want our language to make it to create an artificial barrier that's that's really not there in the spirit at all. Any thoughts that come to your mind when you hear Brian say that? Well, while you're talking, I'm even thinking about major movements throughout the past hundred years where rights of people and the way that we view things as a society have changed. It always starts with language. It always starts with the words that we use. I think that changing the language in how we talk about different roles in the house of prayer could be really powerful and really affect change in the way that we relate to one another. I think in our house of prayer, it's kind of happened accidentally because uh, Brian Curry, when he's talking about the priesthood of all believers, he'll say, we're all priests. He'll talk about how we all have a, a priestly call to minister to the Lord, how that's everyone's calling. But then we kind of differentiate and say, okay, you're staff, you're not staff. And that's not really biblical language. Like no one in the Bible is on staff. Like that's not a thing. But then as an organization, you have to have the structure and payroll and kind of all these things sort of creep in. And then you have to say, well, I guess you're staff and you're non-staff. And so it's kind of snuck in on us. And yeah, it's, it's a good point. I don't know how 
you would remove or change or modify that language so it doesn't kind of put those barriers because it is kind of silly to think you're a staff priest and you're a non-staff priest. Like that's it feels kind of silly, especially when they a lot of them do some of the same roles, a lot of the same things. It's just a matter of how much time you're able to give yourself to it, right? And it's interesting that many churches have adopted the language of staff for anyone who's a regular volunteer with any of their programs. If you're if you buy into the vision of the the ministry of that church, if you're involved in what they're doing, they consider you staff, paid or doesn't matter whether you're paid or unpaid, you're staff. And so I kind of love that model because it feels like no, like we I'm I'm buying into what this place is doing. My heart's in this place. Well, you're you're a part of the team, and it just it removes those divisions. So my staff now? I'm totally on staff. Well, because like Jehu, you're teaching an internship <laughs> class for our internship voluntarily. You're not getting paid to do it. And Rebecca, you're jumping in on that class too. I, I approached you and said, you know, I consider you like a staff member here and I want you to be involved in the internship. So you should find a place to put yourself in the internship. So again, it's just a matter of titles. I don't know. like what. Well, and it's so interesting when I think about it in terms of my role in the house of prayer, if if I if I left staff in our house of prayer, I'm I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. The 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 thing would keep on running. It would be fine. If Rebecca or Jules wasn't there, that would create some serious problems. Like the Lord would prevail, and He would provide. Yeah, he would provide. And it would right? be okay. Yeah, it would be okay. I'm not that important. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah. like the the actual input in in terms of how we even function is so like we just need everyone. So Brian, you're saying you're not on staff? What? No, no, we're all on staff. <laughs> You just disqualified yourself from no, staff. But, but, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just, what I'm just saying is, is just this reality, right? That, yeah, yeah. That it's like, we kind of, we need all of the parts and there's not uh, any part that is lesser. Like it, it just, it all kind of fits together. Which totally comes around to what Jules start us, started us out talking about how we're Being all part of the body, the body. and yep. we're members and that the ear shouldn't be scoffing at the toe and we need them all. So I found this interesting a number of years ago, um, Luke 18 Project, which is uh, basically they plant prayer, prayer meetings and, and prayer rooms on university campuses. They started using this language on their t-shirts, and it just said, revival is family. And I remember as a guy who prays for revival all the time, at first being annoyed because it's like everyone's always trying to redefine revival. It's like, oh my goodness, revival is this, revival is that, revival is that. Like, no, revival is revival. So it was bugging me. And then one day as I was thinking about it, and just scripturally, I'm like, why Why would they put that on their t-shirt, revival is family? And I started thinking about Acts chapter 2, and and so often when we think about revival, we think about the fruit of it as all these people getting saved, the power of God falling, signs and wonders, and all of this reality. And that, that that's true, that is often a part of, of historic revival. But we often forget about is later on in, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about family. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was, was filled with awe. And then later on, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has a need. And it, it's talking about family. It's talking about a church where there was no divisions, where everyone loved each other and walked in unity. And, and, it, and I started to understand this reality. You no, know, revival is family. One of the genuine fruits of, of seeing the Spirit poured out is that People love each other and people feel validated and supported and like they all matter in the midst of community, that there's a real link towards this revival culture. And we, in the prayer movement, I think, um, probably across North America, over the last you know, 10, 11 years I've been involved with it, I've seen loads of emphasis on prayer and fasting and pressing into the heart of God. 
but I haven't seen a lot of emphasis on community and family. And right now it's interesting because across North America, there are many houses of prayer that are shrinking. There are many houses of prayer that have gone through some pretty difficult seasons. And part of me wonders if part of that reason is because we've forgotten the family part. And we have a bunch of individuals coming to pray. But the Lord's looking for a family. The Lord's looking for that community. And so I think that's one of the pieces that the Lord really is going to highlight going forward. I think he has to if the prayer movement is going to survive. This idea that we actually need to to, to come together in this sort of way and, and really learn how to love each other and to support each other and that everyone who comes to a house of prayer understands that their role is important, not because we're we're throwing out platitudes and we just want people to feel better about themselves, but but because we genuinely mean it. Brian, even as you're talking about that vision of revival, I'm just reminded of what happened last year in the fall at the International House of Prayer down in Kansas City and what's kind of been happening over the past year as they've really been trying to figure out what community looks like in their context and, and even some of their leaders repenting about how they really were raising up this vision, but they weren't fathering a family. They weren't um, bringing about the community and the discipleship and having people there who were who were single moms or having people there um, who were you know newcomers to their country and uh, them feeling so left out of the community and and then having the leaders just repenting to them. and it was it was just so beautiful to see the the reconciliation that was coming. And I think, when you look at the the beautiful plan of God in terms of the the big picture, how we ultimately have the reconciliation of God and man, the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles, the fathers and the and the children, the children and the fathers, and the family aspect, the reconciliation, I think is so key to the gospel message. And I think what you're saying is so true that revival is family, that when we have right relationships with, with each other, when we're able to forgive, when we're able to repent, when we have those uh, real deep bonds of love forged, I think that is revival. And I think that's something that we in the prayer room want to carry, that when we pray for revival, we're praying for family, we're praying for relationships to be made whole. So we touched on some awesome topics that were not even on our list of things to talk about. So we're going to have to have you guys back sometime to talk about your vision for your workplace and what the Lord wants to do there. But we did talk on some very important topics, I think, and and I'm really provoked by this conversation. So thank you for being here, Rebecca and Jules. So we're coming to the end of our episode, which means it's time for our new segment. Wait, what does that mean? Today's word is night watch. So first we're going to turn to Brian. So if you were new coming into the house of prayer, what might you think the word night watch means? Well, first of all, it's come to my attention that some people think my definitions are lame. Um, And so I I just would like to take this opportunity to remind our listeners, I do have a master's degree and I do know um, what I'm talking about when I talk about these things. And so um, back in the 90s, I had this watch. It was Iron Man. It was a Timex piece, a triathlete watch. And the beauty of this watch is that there's actually a button you could push and a light would come on so you could see it the dark. It was a night watch. And it had the indigo symbol on it, or is that something different? It, I had it that. might have. I, I that was years ago. So I can, I'm old. I I was part of the night watch then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. were inside his watch. I carried the night watch with me for years. I literally carried the night carried watch. Carried it. You carried <laughs> by it myself. Not on your heart. On your arm. On my arm. Yeah, yeah. Like a seal. Like a <laughs> seal said on his arm was the night not, watch. Not the animal or the singer though. Or. <laughs> okay. So, Johan, could you give us the real, real definition of the Night Watch? And I give the real definition of the Night Watch. You'll hear it mentioned from time to time on this podcast and when you walk into many a prayer room. Uh, 
<laughs> Night Watch is essentially... Do you know? <laughs> okay, so fine. So the Night Watch comes from the idea of having a city with walls surrounding it. And so in an ancient context, the walls of the city were incredibly important because you didn't want sort of, uh, you know, roving bands of barbarians to come into your city in the middle of the night, steal your stuff, maybe take away your people. That's literally the worst. It's pretty bad. And so you'd have walls, but people could scale the walls, right? You know, throw a rope, a ladder, what have you. And so you had to have people on the walls who would watch during the night for intruders. And so those people, they had a pretty terrible job, right? This was before a lot of coffee. You have to be up all night long. You're just sort of sitting there waiting. Nothing really happens. Uh, That's actually a good night. A good night is when nothing happens at all. And you just eventually get to the end of your watch. Morning comes and you go to sleep. And, and, And their watch being the night watch that they were wearing. Ah, uh, yes, uh, the watch, the Timex piece. Perfect. Thank in you. that case, it would have been a sundial, which wouldn't have worked at night. Because it was the night. Wait, I still don't know what the night watch is in our context. And so in our current context, updated, we would be the people in the house of prayer who are praying during the night, standing on the metaphorical walls in prayer. Uh, they wouldn't be necessarily watching for things, uh, but they would be taking their place as they stand in the place of prayer. Often intercessors, we use the language of being on the wall. Uh, we're sort of standing around the city and we're looking for things uh, in the spirit. And so on the night watch, you would be the people who are doing that, taking their place on the wall, but it's during the nighttime. I actually had an experience at a night watch once where actually I did see things and it was actually a really powerful encounter with the Lord in as we were praying and just asking the Lord for what he wanted us to focus on. It was just like he all of a sudden came and there was actually a lot of warfare happening um, during the night as we were praying. I think that was actually one of the strongest, powerful times that I've actually had with the Lord and just everything seems a little more heightened in the night. Like your senses are a little bit more, even though you're tired um, and your body might not be used to it. It's just like praying and just focusing on the Lord. It's actually, he really loves to encounter us in the night. Awesome. So that's the night watch. Okay. So this concludes this episode of the Burning Rooms podcast. Thank you again, Rebecca and Jules for joining us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) And we'd love to have you again. That'd be great. Uh, So until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. I'm Jules. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast.